Good afternoon. My name is Chad Mary. I'm the student worker here at Inspire St. James and excited to continue in our series in the book of Psalms, um, more specifically the Psalms of Ascent. And those were the Psalms that the Israelites would have sung as they pilgrimed, took a pilgrimage back to um, Jerusalem and for an important religious festival or feast. And as they climbed the hill towards Jerusalem, they would ascend, they would sing these psalms. What's interesting is that this psalm, I don't know how that hits you when you read it, but there's a lot of joy mentioned in this psalm. So it can be a little bit tricky at first that this is actually a psalm of lament. If you look at the book of Psalms, there's 150 psalms. A third of those are psalms of lament. And a psalm of lament simply means that there's Um, A situation that the the writer or that the nation of Israel is going through that's difficult, that's trying, that's bringing great sorrow, so they call out to God for help. And that's what's happening here. So if a third of the Psalms are are lament, what should that tell us? Probably something that you already know to be true about life, that there is much sorrow that we will face in this life. So what do we do with that, right? Typically, we try to minimize any suffering or sorrow as much as possible, because we know it's, in a, it's inevitable. We can't, you know, get rid of all of it. But yeah, even this, just this week, I was looking in the, the BBC and reading an article, and it was talking about an assessment that was done, and it was talking about what are the next major threats facing the UK. And the two that stood out were a future pandemic and extreme weather. And so they did this assessment so that they could prepare, right? They could have a plan in place in case this happens again. They know we can't avoid terrible things in this world, but let's at least try to reduce and minimize the suffering. And that's kind of what the insurance industry is all about, right? I mean, if you think about insurance, some of it is required by law and some of it's not, but there are insurance policies for everything out there. I mean, you need insurance for, uh, you know, if you're a homeowner, if you're a renter, if you're, you know, car insurance, life insurance. Um, you know, there's all different kinds of insurances that you can buy out there. And as I was looking into this a little bit more, I found that there's wedding insurance. So you can insure your big day, the money you've invested for that wedding ceremony and all the thousands of dollars have gone into it. You can, you can insure that. I didn't know that. Um, you can insure um, body parts. So that sounds interesting, right? Uh, many singers will insure their voice. So that Bruce Springsteen not too long ago or back in his, in his time insured his voice for $6 million dollars. Footballer David Beckham insured his legs for $195 million. We can't prevent bad from having, so let's at least try to minimize it. There's actually lottery insurance out there. Sounds funny, but it's for employers. So in case one of their employees wins the lottery and they need to make a replacement, they need to hire someone else, cover costs, it's a real thing. And then maybe the most strange is that there's alien abduction insurance on the market. Not every uh, maybe an uh, insurance provider offers this, but it is out there. And there are over 30,000 policies that have been uh, bought in, in um, Europe, across Europe alone. So it be interesting to see if any of those have been uh, claimed or any claims made on that. But the point is, is that we try to minimize suffering, and that's, that's wise. But you cannot eliminate it. So what do we do when we find ourselves, and maybe you, you find yourself in this situation this evening, in a time of lament, a time of sorrow? Well, Psalm 126 gives us wisdom for how do we handle this. It can be broken down into three different parts. We're going to look at a reflection, 
We're going to look at a prayer, and then we're going to look at a promise. So first, a reflection. Verses 1 through 3. So this is a community lament. So this would be the nation of Israel. They say, verse 1, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, or Jerusalem, we were like those who dreamed. They're looking back. They're remembering. They're reflecting on something that God has done in their history. So this isn't current. They're, they're thinking. They're looking back. It says that the Lord has restored their fortunes. Fortunes here isn't necessarily talking about money. You might think, you know, you go to make a fortune doing something. That's, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about circumstances, something that they find themselves in. The Lord has brought restoration and deliverance for their situation. It's so big, in fact, that when God does it, they think they're dreaming. It's almost too good to be true. Pinch me. Is this, is this really happening? And it says that the result is that their mouths are filled with laughter and their tongues with songs of joy. And we know it's something on a very large scale as well because we see it gets the attention of the nations around them. That their surrounding neighbors are looking at the nation of Israel and saying, wow, their God, the Lord, has done great things for them. So what is this event? Well, the text actually doesn't tell us exactly what it is. But as we study and read the history of Israel in the Bible, there are many instances that this could actually be. Some scholars think this is when God brought them back from exile. So if you remember, the nation of Israel was actually conquered by the Babylonians and Assyrians, and they were forced to leave their homeland. They were forced to start over in a new land. They were captives. So how did they get out of that captivity? Did they somehow get together the troops and... and win a large, you know, military battle? No, that's not how it happened. God did it. God actually worked in the heart of King Cyrus, king of Persia, and he just changed his mind. He let him go after 70 years of being in exile. So can you imagine how they felt when they went back and stepped foot on home soil again? Yes, much work to be done, rebuilding. But the joy that God had brought them back, they're no longer captives in a foreign land. God had done it. Surely that would have gotten the attention of the surrounding nations. But the specific instance here that they're talking about isn't necessarily what's important in the text. What's important is that they're remembering. They're looking back and they're saying, God, this is what you've done. You've done big things. And what that does is it actually gives them encouragement and faith to pray for their current circumstances that they find themselves in. So Psalm 126 we can learn that there's, there's a lot of wisdom in remembering as we look back on what God has done. So what about you? When was the last time you stopped and reflected God's work in your life or the life of your family? Maybe it's a time he's provided for you. Maybe it's a time he's protected you. There's much encouragement that we can find when we do this. I, and as I was preparing this week, I thought back to my first year of university many, many years ago. And when I went to university, I grew up in a Christian home and, you know, went to church all growing up. But when I stepped foot on the campus, getting a, being a part of a Christian community and joining a church was not at the top of my list. I had other priorities. I wanted to have fun and I wanted to meet a lot of new people and I wanted to do well at school. And so for that first term, that priority got pushed Aside, And many times, very deliberately, I was turning my back on God. But 
as I look back, I can see how he faithfully directed my steps back to him, patiently, gently. One instance was there was this conference that was happening. I knew some people going to it. It was a Christian conference where there'd be a couple thousand college students, university students, and they would be learning about God. And I was like, okay, and don't necessarily want to go, but I'm going to go. God met me at that conference through his word, the preaching of his word, and he was bringing me back to himself. And then when I came back to start the next term, my second term at university, I was in the library studying, wanted to start off right. And that's where I met Mandy, who's now my wife. And she introduced me to a community on campus called Campus Outreach. It was just a group of Christians wanting to help each other grow in their relationship with God and help others who don't know Jesus to investigate who he is. And I actually work for that organization to this day. So as I look back at how God has directed and been so faithful in my life, it encourages me and it, it gives me confidence to know that he will provide for my needs in anything that I'm facing today. So what is that for you? You know, it's interesting. It's not just looking back on our own lives. We actually can look back at history and be encouraged. So it's not just looking back at your own circumstances, but we can look back at how God has faithfully worked in the lives of the Israelites, right? That's why we have his word. As we look back, we can be encouraged. And we have an advantage that the psalmist in the nation of Israel didn't have. As we look back, we have more of the story. Jesus hadn't arrived on the scene yet. But yet now we can look back and see what God has done by sending his son to die for us so we can reflect and remember and take great courage for that, from that. So when we do look back, it encourages us and it gives us boldness to pray bold prayers to God. And that's what happens. We see a prayer here in verse 4 of chapter 26. This is their current situation. They're not, no longer remembering. This is where they're at now. It says, restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. So he uses the same language there that was in you know, verse 1 there. Essentially what he's saying is, God, do it again. Just like the Israelites' world had been flipped upside down when they were taken to captivity or whatever that event was that got the attention of the nations around them, it's happened again. Something has upset their world. They find themselves in hard times. And so they pray out, restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Now, it talks about the Negev. And the Negev is that area in southern Israel that's the desert wilderness. In fact, that word Negev in the Hebrew language means a dry land or a parched land. And so it's talking about the riverbeds. The riverbeds are dry. So maybe you've walked by a patch of land before where you see the dirt where once there was water and then once there was mud and, and now it's just cracked. You know, it looks like little canyons that are carved out. It's, it's dry. This is the riverbeds of the Negev. And it doesn't rain often, but when it does and when it rains hard enough, that water comes down off the mountains and will fill those riverbeds again. And it comes fast, almost like a flood coming through. And with that water comes life. It brings life to the wildlife in the area. And actually, vegetation will sprout forth and flowers will actually appear in this dry desert land. And so here are the Israelites praying a bold prayer. Lord, do it again. Do it now. Do something amazing. Bring life. Restore us. And they call out to God. They're empowered by remembering what he has done in the past. So even though this is a community prayer for the nation of Israel, 
we too can pray for individual instances, you know, our own instances, things that we're facing. You know, are you experiencing a, a negev, so to speak? Some area, perhaps deep suffering, or perhaps just dryness in your life. Over the past month, we've been applying for a renewal of our visa to stay in country. And um, with that can come a lot of stress. And so when you renew your visa, especially as a, a large family that we have, there's a large cost, upfront cost to be able to do that because you're renewing for another um, series of years. So you're, you're paying into NHS, all those things, right? And uh, we're looking at this earlier in the year. We're like, how, where is this going to come from? How, God, are you still calling us here to stay in London? Because this, this, is, this is a lot. And then, you know, the application's easy, but then you have this waiting period. And we're actually in that right now. There's, there's no signs that it shouldn't be fulfilled, but your future's kind of in the hands of immigration, right? Like, if we don't get renewed, what do we do, you know? And so it is this time for us to really reflect. And it's caused us to look back and think, okay, God, you've done this before. <laughs> you've provided before. You've brought us here. And would you do it again? God, do it again. And so we've seen him provide in some pretty amazing ways over this past uh, term. And uh, we're waiting now for that response. But what is it for you? You know, maybe it's, you know, the cost of living. is just seems to keep going up. If you're a homeowner, you know, insurance rates just went up. Not insurance rates, sorry. Um, interest rates just went up. Renters, you know, the, I think the, market, the rent market has gone up something like 20% in the last handful of years. We've been affected by that. So what is your current situation? Maybe you've lost a job. Or maybe you want a job. You're looking for a job and you can't find one. <clears throat> maybe it's more health-related. Maybe you're, you're struggling with chronic illness. You just wonder when I will feel well again. Maybe it's uncontrollable grief or depression. Maybe the loss or death of a, of a loved one. Or maybe you've been a Christian for a while and just your time in prayer, time in the Word has been dry. And you find yourself in a dry place. What are your sorrows? Well, in Psalm 126, verse 4, we see to call out to Him. And how do they call out to Him? Do they come with all the answers? No. <laughs> they actually come asking for answers. Do they come in self sufficiency? No. They come very needy. Become powerless. God help us. We can come as we are in our current situation and call out to God. Children are a great example of this. They will ask for anything and everything regardless of what it might be or whether it's even a good thing for them. Right? Even, I mean, just after the, the morning service, we had to pick up some items at the grocery store before we went home for lunch. And we had all our kids walking down the aisles. And it was insane how many requests I had for what we should put in that basket. <laughs> we had ranging all kinds. Of, but they're just, ah, can we get this? Can we get this? Right? They're not afraid. To, they come needy. They come as they are. They come messy. We come to our Father, our Heavenly Father, the same way. And we can come in boldness because he's provided in the past. So look to him. Call out to him. Come to him as your Father. And then as this psalm concludes, we have the last two verses, which is verses 5 and 6, and we see a promise. We see a look forward to a future hope. So verses 5 and 6 here, 
It says, those who sorrow, sorry, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. So we see that here are the Israelites. They are in tears. We see that their situation is not good. And it switches from this imagery of a desert to farming. That would have been very familiar for them, especially in their culture. And although they're still in their current you know, hard situation, life goes on. They're sowing, plowing the fields, trusting for a harvest. We find ourselves in hard situations. And maybe that situation, as we pray about it, isn't removed immediately. Or maybe it won't be removed. But yet here is a promise that we find. That as we sow in tears, there will be a harvest of joy. So how is that possible? How is it possible for tears to produce joy? How is it possible to find joy in the midst of sorrow? Well, this is where Jesus has some real real answers here, some real help in this situation. Tim Keller pointed out that Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of verse 5. The one who sowed in tears reaped eternal joy for all those who believe. It was through his tears, through his life, through his tears in the garden the night before he was arrested, through his sorrow that he took on the cross when the father turned his back and punished the son for the full weight of sin that he was experiencing in that moment. It was that sorrow that led to a harvest of eternal joy for all who would come to him. So ultimately, we know that there will be joy because as we look at Jesus, the fulfillment of verse 5, joy is promised. It's still hard in the moment. It's still hard. We still face the reality of the sorrow we're in. So how do we deal with that? How can we learn from this sorrow? How do we continue to sow, continue to move on as the Israelites are doing here? Well, when we're sowing in tears, sometimes it's hard to believe that that joy is possible. And we're tempted to think that, well, maybe God is, he's punishing me. I'm guilty. I'm, I'm sinful. He's, he's punished me for something I've done. Well, how does looking to Jesus help us with that thought? He's not punishing me because he's already taken the punishment on himself. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When we look to Jesus, it helps us in our suffering. Maybe we're filled with self-pity, the, the why me? It's a natural response. Or anger, how dare you? How, how dare you do this? Well, once again, when we look to Jesus, we see that God himself suffered more than we ever will. <laughs> he took upon himself the suffering for the sin of the world. And the reason he did it is so that we could live forever with him. So in that moment, we can look to Jesus to find hope in the midst of suffering. In suffering, a lot of times we don't know why it's happening. You know, it's kind of that question of what's happening here. I don't understand the purpose behind this. Well, once again, we can look back. Look at the disciples. Jesus had laid it out for them. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to be crucified three days later. I'm going to rise. I'm going to raise from the dead. Well, in the midst of it, when he's crucified, what happens to the disciples? They don't get it. They're terrified. They run and they hide. They desert him. But looking back, we get the picture. We understand what Jesus was doing. That he rose from the dead. He defeated sin and death. 
on our behalf. And so we can persevere in sorrow when we look back and remember that there is a plan in it, that God is doing something and he did something mighty on our behalf. So verses 5 and 6 here, this is a statement of hope. And it's absolutely true for every believer. That even though in this world we will sow in tears at times, in the next world we will reap eternal joy. So we can take great comfort in that. So let's join with these Israelite pilgrims as they prayed through Psalm 126. We too can join them. We can look back. We can remember what God has done. We can look up. We can call out to God with boldness. We can pray to him. And we can look forward to the future hope of what Christ has done, what he has accomplished for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these amazing promises that you give us. God, I pray that we would take time to reflect on what you've done, to call out to you with boldness and to claim the promise, the joy that is found in Christ, even in our suffering. Thank you that you care for us. And we know this because you suffered for us. Thank you for your great love. In Christ's name, amen.